Amen. This morning we continue and we will be reading in Romans chapter 4. And we're going to be backtracking a little bit today. We're going to cover some verses we covered last week. And so we, we understand that the, the main theme is that we are made just. The ungodly are made just by God, uh, by his grace. But today deals specifically with understanding the supreme blessing of forgiveness. Understanding the supreme blessing of God's forgiveness. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. This comes from Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 5 through 8. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Uh, let's pray one more time. Lord, your word is unchanging because, it, because you are unchanging. And so we pray that this morning when we are uh, reading your word, hearing, hearing your word preached, that in light of your unchangeableness, that you will change us into the image of your Son uh, through the power of your Spirit. And we ask that uh, you anoint your pastor, uh, Greg, here, that while he is preaching, um, that he has the clarity to preach your word with uh, boldness, and that we all may be able to uh, glean the gospel uh, as your word is preached here. And we ask that through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the word blessed and blessing are thrown around, right, quite often. Um, it's used by believers and unbelievers alike, right? Blessings. Have a blessed day. We, we use it as a farewell a lot, right, when we want to end a conversation. Well, God bless you, right? Our blessings. Have a blessed day. Um, and then we also equate it with material things, right? I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed when we have a new car behind us or um, a new house. Hashtag blessed. And I, I understand that God can can give us material things and that they are blessings in a sense. But today, man, we are going to look at something that is, is just so much further out of that realm. Um, because again, we are just finite beings and all we know are these little things we see. So I'm, I understand how it's easy for us to equate blessings with things. Um, I remember when I was turning 16, man, I could not wait to get my first car. 1976 Gremlin. <laughs> all right? Yeah. But I was excited. It was used, all right. And, uh, um, you know, but, but I was excited, right? It, it offered so much. And I said to myself, wow, I will be blessed for the rest of my life when I have this automobile. Uh, it, it, it embodies freedom. Wow, I am free to go from point A to point B anytime I want, as many times as I want in my AMC Gremlin, right? <laughs> and, it, and it was great. But, but what came along with that also, and I learned very quickly that along with that uh, freedom and excitement and this, uh, you know, blessing of a, of a physical thing there that I can look at and wash and watch the bumper fall off. But um, <laughs> the um, thing you learn, though, is there, along with that comes responsibility, frustration, unending maintenance, and a monthly car payment, right? And, and you learn that no matter how nice or new or shiny the car is, it's going to happen. It breaks down. 
it, it, it takes constant fuel. Uh, it takes constant maintenance, and there's frustration with this thing, and it, it really it doesn't end up providing this long-term, all-consuming blessing, right? Because we get frustrated. Same with a house, same with anything in this world that we try to look at and say, oh, there's my blessing. This has blessed me. Circumstances, we look to those as blessings, right? Whether that be a new job, a promotion, whether, whether that be some, something like a, a marriage even. Oh, when I get married, I'll be so blessed forever. That'll be it the rest of my days. Just blessing after blessing. Marriage is the blessing, but, but to, to, to be that naive about saying, oh man, marriage is the final blessing. If I just get married, I'm so blessed. That's all the blessing I need. That's like the young guy who got tired of being told what to do, when to go to bed, when to get up, what he could do all day. So he went down the street and joined the Marine Corps. Decided to get out of it, right? <laughs> anyway, he's, you know... <laughs> If I could just be on my own, right? Yeah, right. No, but all of these things in this world, whatever it is, no matter how good it really is, there is a problem in this world of, 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 of putting our trust in material things or even circumstances that just seem like this is the perfect circumstance. Everything in this world is tainted and broken. So therefore, to say these are blessings, let me say why, why I'm putting such a huge, huge thing here. The word blessed and blessing are actually Christian words, number one. They are Christian words and something that only genuine believers can ever truly experience. So I know that unbelievers use the word blessed and have a blessed there. I'm so blessed and so forth. I understand that. But the word makarias has this meaning of deep happiness or content or complete satisfaction. And as I've already said, nothing in this life can bring us complete, unending satisfaction all the time. We, we, we have to understand that. Therefore, that word blessed is very unique, and it is a very Christian word and biblical word. Jesus used this word in Matthew 5, 3 through 4, dealing with the Beatitudes, right, during the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to read the first two for you. Look at this. He used that word blessed, the same word we use for everything's going great in my life. Everything's good. Everything's great. He used that same word blessed to say this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Now we don't normally attribute the word blessed to weeping over the loss of a loved one. We don't say, oh, he's so blessed. When our spirits are broken, when our heart is broken, we don't normally say, wow, you are blessed. But Jesus did. Why? Why do you use that word blessed in connection with those who are brokenhearted and those who are mourning? Because Jesus used that term to describe the inner quality of being blessed by God. It transcends anything that we understand in this world. The blessedness that he's talking about is a spiritual state of well-being and prosperity. It's a deep joy-filled commitment, a, a deep joy-filled commitment that cannot be shaken by poverty, grief, sickness, death, pain, war, famine. Nothing shakes a genuine blessing worked in us by God. Do you see the difference now? There is a huge difference. Therefore, genuine blessings 
are an inward working of God on the hearts of his people. That's what a genuine blessing is. To be blessed by God means he has worked inside of me in a, in a way that cannot be altered by this world, by circumstances, by the loss of things. You see that? That is what it means to be blessed by God. So again, the true definition of a blessing would be something that only God can give that the world can never take away. I mean, we can name several of those things, right? Let me give you examples that we know from the Bible, these things that are true blessings from God. Joy, peace, contentment, all these things. Money can't buy them. And if you genuinely have been given them by God, nothing can take them away. But I submit to you this morning that all of those blessings flow from the supreme blessing of forgiveness. Being forgiven by the holy God of the universe, it's from that blessing that we have peace. It's from that blessing that we have any, any joy. It's, it's from that blessing that we have contentment because we are now at peace with the God of the universe for eternity. There is no greater blessing. So I, I submit today that, again, the blessing of forgiveness, we need to stop this We go back and read this verse, these verses just to bask in the glory of this blessing known as forgiveness, being forgiven by God. So let's go back, verse five, it says this, Romans four, verse five. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Then in verses 7 and 8, he builds this. What does that mean that God counts the ungodly just by faith in Christ? Verse 7. Blessed, you see this? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man amongst whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now that is hashtag blessed, folks. That is blessed. That is a blessing. Only God can work that in the hearts of broken, sinful human beings. And that's why David says, blessed are those whose sins are covered. The Lord will not count his sin against him. His deeds are forgiven. Does that affect you? Does that affect us today? Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil he has been forgiven, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. You see, this blessing of forgiveness given to us freely by God's grace through the merit of Christ is something that should transform us and literally determine how we live the rest of our life. 
We can never get over this, is what Spurgeon is saying. When you really understand, though, the awfulness of who you were, you have to be there first to understand what forgiveness means. That's why he's saying many people take forgiveness very lightly because it's cheap. We do have a cheap gospel that's being preached, a very flippant, oh yeah, I trust Jesus, he's my, he's, he's my homeboy. Yeah, we got this good relationship going on, man, and, and then you go about your life. And the reason you can do that, the reason you can go so flippantly about your life and still claim to be a Christian and still live any way you, you want is because you've never stood condemned with the rope around your neck about to be hung justly by the judge of the universe and then tasted of his pardon and his grace given to you through Christ. Total forgiveness, total pardon, total relief of all that guilt. So let's be still, man, and, and just think about that. Let's be still and meditate. Blessed is the one to whom God has forgiven their evil deeds. Blessed is the one who has been forgiven. Now, again, this doesn't mean we're not guilty, or that we weren't guilty, and that we're not still going to be guilty. On, on the contrary, we are guilty. But the sins were covered. Do you see that? That's the language there. We were guilty, and we are still capable of being guilty. Some of you may be guilty right now of things. We'll talk about this in a moment. But again, even in our guiltiness, even in our brokenness and sinfulness, the sins were covered. They are no longer held against us. We are no longer condemned. Now, this again is where we have to be as believers. This is where the believer rests. This is why this is the message for a church. A church, essentially, even though there may be unbelievers here and you are welcome, this is the place for those who have been blessed by God with salvation. It's the gathering of saints. Those who have been made right with God. We gather together to do what? To remind ourselves of the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. And that's what David is doing. He's reminding us, blessed are you. If you are forgiven of your sins, you are blessed. Blessed. You are no longer condemned. How? Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 says what? There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the general how. Christ Jesus. That's it. We are not condemned. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus. He goes on to explain th this in Colossians 2.13. Look at this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That's Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses. See, we as believers need to understand the foundation of our faith, and this is it. We were dead, dead in our sins. And yet God made us alive. Do you see, again, this verse answers a whole lot of theological questions that are debated silly, sillily, sillily, that are very much debated in a silly manner <laughs> such as who's responsible for our salvation boy this makes it a no-brainer folks you were dead god made you alive what else can we say we were dead god made us alive in christ and has forgiven us all our 
trespasses. Bask in that as a believer. Rest in that. Swim around in that truth. Let it permeate your soul. But he explains even further how this works. Colossians 2.14. Folks, we do not want to have a superficial faith in, quote, a gospel. And some good news. We want to have an in-depth understanding of how deep and wide and long is the love of God for us. And so Paul continues to probe deeper into this glorious truth of being forgiven of our trespasses. Verse 14, how did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Well, that's wonderful, right? We had a record of debt against us. And man, the evidence was irrefutable. We were guilty and we deserved God's punishment. But by God's grace, he canceled the debt. He canceled the, the list, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And it goes on to say, this he set aside. That's glorious, but wait a minute. It's not that God simply carte blanche just forgave us and said, well, I'm just going to set that aside. I'm just going to forget about it. No. Here's how he could set it aside. Look at this. The last part of that verse. Nailing it to the cross. God just didn't forgive you of your sins and say, it's okay, never mind. No, the just penalty for your sin, the eternal hell that you deserved was still paid. But it was nailed to Christ as he was nailed to the cross. You see this? My debt was canceled because it became Christ's debt. But it never really was canceled in that sense. I'm just saying this is a theological truth that we need to understand. God doesn't just forgive us and say, that's it. No, no, no debt needs to be paid. That would not be a just God. His justice was met, though. He did punish every one of our sins. That list of all of our sins it was paid for, but it was paid for by Christ who became my sin. And he was nailed to the cross in my place. And because of that, because of that, God justifies the ungodly. When they have faith in that, the merit, the perfection of Christ living and dying in your place. Wow. And so now we, we, we say with Paul and David, Romans 4, 7 and 8, this is what we say now because of that glorious truth that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we say in Romans 4, 7 and 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin against him. Wow. Wow. There's some results of this. 
again, this is a truth that, that we, we just jump right over and we don't even think of the significance of what this means. Because if we don't have the blessedness of God forgiving us through the merits of his son, then we have to pay the debt. The, sin, the record still stands against us. The debt is still owed and we are still under condemnation. And we will suffer the wrath of a holy God. So we need to rest in this truth if we're a believer and, and be gloriously transformed by it because you, you really can't help but be changed if this has genuinely happened in your life, right? If you've genuinely received the blessing of forgiveness, then you will not be the same person. There are results of God's forgiveness in a person's life. And I just want to talk about a couple of those real quick and then we will be finished. But listen, listen to this. One of the things that results from God forgiving us in our lives is that we no longer have to be enslaved by the guilt of past sins. That's one of the blessings of being forgiven. David knew that. that that's why David said this. He knew what it was like to be enslaved by the guilt and the shame of his sin. Everybody knew about his sin. And he knew about his sin. And yet the glorious truth of God's grace and God's forgiveness is that it tells us that our sins are covered. When God forgives us, our sins are covered and he does not hold them against us anymore. What a peace. What a rest. Now guilt's a tricky thing. It's a tricky, tricky thing to preach on. Guilt is, is tricky because there are two extremes to avoid when we talk about guilt. The first is to allow guilt to hold you hostage. That's an extreme that, that I think Paul's dealing with here. here. Um, Satan would love to allow your guilt to hold you hostage and keep you depressed and discouraged all the time. You know, look what you did. This is who you are. This is what you really are. Don't let anybody tell you that you can serve God, blah, 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 right? He's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. So, so this is one extreme that we do not want to get to with guilt. The other extreme <laughs> is to ignore guilt altogether, to do away with guilt. We, guilt's bad. We never want any guilt, so let's just do away with it. So we have to avoid both of those extremes. But the first one, man, I do want to deal with that because I, I, I know it's, it's very possible for many Christians to be held hostage by the shame and the guilt of their former life, their past sin that God has forgiven. There's a story in a, a little book called Will Daylight Come? And in that story, the author tells about a little boy named Johnny and his sister Sally who go visit their grandparents out on the farm. And uh, as Johnny is out there, he had received a new slingshot for his birthday. Very excited. And he was spending the morning out in the woods practicing with his new slingshot. And he was trying to hit stuff, and he didn't hit a thing. He aimed for the tree, missed the tree, kept missing the tree, tried to hit a bird. He missed the bird. There's a squirrel. He aimed for that squirrel, missed the squirrel. He aimed for the squirrel, missed the squirrel. He, I mean, all day long, no success using his slingshot. So he's coming home for lunch, and he's cutting through the backyard of his grandma's house, and there he sees his grandma's pride pet duck. And he thinks, well, I ain't hit nothing all day. So he nonchalantly takes his slingshot and just flicks 
the rock out and it flies and it lands square dead center in the middle of that duck's head and the duck drops dead. Johnny's horrified. <laughs> he grabs the duck, hides it in the woodpile, and then turns to walk in the house to see his sister Sally smirking at him on the porch who just witnessed the whole thing. So they go in for lunch and they're eating their lunch, enjoying their lunch. And after lunch, Grandma says, Sally, come and help with the dishes. It's time to, to clean up. Come and help Grandma with the dishes. Oh, 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 that's okay. Uh, Johnny said today he wants to help you with the dishes. <laughs> right, right, Johnny? And then she whispers, remember the duck. <laughs> Johnny says, oh, yeah, I, I want to help. Later that afternoon, Grandpa hollers for them to come fishing. Come on, let's go fishing. Grandma says, wait a minute, Sally, I'm going to need help with dinner. Can you stay back? Oh, that's taken care of, Grandma. Johnny said he wants to help with dinner tonight. Right, Johnny? Remember the duck. Yeah, Grandma, I'll help. And this went on for days. Johnny did all of his chores and Sally's chores <laughs> for days until Johnny couldn't take it anymore. He went to his grandmother one morning and just wept like a baby. He said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I killed your duck accidentally. I didn't mean it, but I'm sorry. She said, I know. I was watching from the kitchen window. I saw the, I saw the whole thing. And then she replied, I forgive you. I forgive you. You do? Yes. I forgive you. Wow. She said, yeah. I just wanted to see how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. And you see, this is exactly what happens to many of us. We allow this extreme of guilt to come along and continue to condemn us when God has already said, I forgive you. My blood has covered that sin. I do not hold that against you. That's where we as Christians live. That's why the, the accuser cannot accuse us anymore or condemn us because God says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, we've got to be careful. This doesn't mean that, that all guilt is bad and we should never worry about guilt. Healthy guilt is a good thing. So there is a time in our lives, folks, where guilt is, is, is good. It's a good thing when it comes to being sensitive to present sin in our lives. So guilt is not something... That God has put in our lives to stay there and haunt us for a year on, year in, and year out. It's not that. Guilt should be looked at, at by Christians as a very quick messenger that's in and out, in and out. Because guilt comes to warn us of danger, and we respond immediately to that guilt by confessing and moving forward in our freedom. Do you, do you see that? But now, now the world wants to take away all guilt, though, right? The world doesn't like guilt at all. Obviously, they don't want to be bothered with any shame and any guilt for their disobedience toward God. I mean, this is why women would rather call abortion reproductive rights. Abortion implies you're stopping the natural process of something. You're aborting something that's in process, that's living. So obviously, they don't want that guilt. Let's call it reproductive rights. A cartoon once was uh, pictured in a psychologist's office. This is a few years back. <laughs> and you had this psychologist sitting there and his patient. And finally, above the psychologist's head, it says, Mr. Figby, 
I think I can explain your feelings of extreme guilt. Oh, you can? Yes, you're guilty. <laughs> you're guilty. <laughs> so, so there's a point, folks, where we have to understand that guilt is a tool that God uses to convict us. Matter of fact, John 16, 7 through 8 tells us the fact that Jesus said the Spirit would come to convict us. Look what it says, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Because we need that supernatural help to convict us of the reality of sin, the reality of justice and God's justice and righteousness, and the reality of judgment. We need that. But guilt can only be a good thing when it's used as, again, a quick messenger, right? Like the pain sensors of our body that alert us to a hot stove when we're getting too close, right? That's a good thing. We want that. We want that kind of a sensory that says, whoa, 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 back up, back up. So, so, so let guilt then be an early warning system, not a long-term wait that bogs you down. That's not what guilt was ever meant to be. It's an early warning system that causes us to quickly forsake sin and move forward in the freedom of God's forgiveness. Stand fast, therefore, brethren, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. That's the message of God's forgiveness to the believer. But, but number two, another thing we glean from this glorious truth of God's forgiveness is we no longer have to live as bitter, selfish people who refuse to forgive others. We're, we're, we're free from, from, from that idea of being so angry about being hurt. Instead, we readily forgive others because we have been forgiven much. Again, the genuine blessedness of being forgiven by God transforms us. Ephesians 4.32, what's it say? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, the only reason a human being, a stinking, selfish human being could ever forgive somebody else is if they've been blessed with forgiveness themselves. It's only because we've been forgiven by Christ that we can truly humble ourselves and understand that we can forgive others because we know we've been forgiven so much. I mean, literally what Paul is saying here, I think what, Paul, what, what David was saying, I think what anybody who's experienced the forgiveness of God would, would tell us is it's actually unfathomable to think that one who has truly felt the guilt and weight of their sin and then experienced the complete forgiveness of that sin will not in turn forgive those who sin against them readily. It's unfathomable to think that that would happen. That's really what the parable of the unforgiving servant's all about. We're going to close with, with, with this, but listen to this parable. Matthew 18, 23 through 27. This comes right after when one of the apostles said, hey, Lord, when my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? And then he tries to get all pious. About seven, that sounds about right. And Jesus says, no, seven times 70. And again, that wasn't an exact number of 460. I think that's right. I'm not a mathematician. I don't know. But it wasn't about that. It was about continual, continual, like the book of Revelation, right? Symbolic. It's, you just keep doing it. And then he tells this parable, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, 
his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, literally have mercy on me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, remember the word I used a minute ago when I said what the Bible's trying to teach us is that it's unfathomable to think that somebody would not forgive once they've been forgiven by God themselves? That's really what this, <laughs> this parable's all about. It, this, is a, this is an extreme situation here, hypothetical, that, that's almost unrealistic, that Jesus purposely meant to portray in this parable to make this point. Let me just explain. One talent, one talent is worth about 6,000 denarii. And 6,000 denarii is about 16 years of work. It would take 16 years of labor for somebody to earn one talent. This guy owned, owed 10,000 talents. Jesus meant to portray this as an unrealistic possibility. Literally, <laughs> He owed 160,000 years worth of labor. Obviously, humanly impossible to ever pay back. That's the point. That's the point, because that master forgave him of this great debt that could have never been paid back. In order, he gave that scenario in order to set up this in verse 28. But when that same servant, because by the way, that's a picture, is it not? That's a picture of God's forgiveness to all of us. Because we owed a debt that is unpayable. We could never pay for our sins. Now, I know people wonder about that. Why would God uh, send us to eternal hell when we only live 50, 60, 80 years? Uh, and, and then, you know, well, couldn't we just suffer for 80 years? Here's the thing about crime. If, if you are walking down the street... And you punch a guy out from behind, which is a weird thing going on in life these days, but you've seen people walking behind somebody and just cold punch them, right? You're going to pay some, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be held accountable. And I, but, but you're not going to jail for life. You're not going, you're not going to have a big, big, big sentence. It's going to be assault. It's going to be on your record. You may spend a few days in jail, bond, whatever, right? But let's say this. <laughs> you're walking down the street. And the president of the United States happens to be in front of you. And you just haul off and punch him and knock him to the ground. I think you're going to suffer a little more than the guy who just punched a total stranger. It's a common nobody. Now, why is that? Because who we offend is almost as important as the offense itself. It, it carries weight. To the degree that the person you've sinned against is important, there's more weight involved there. And folks, there is nobody of higher status and higher kingship than Yahweh, God himself. And we have all repeatedly offended the infinite God of the universe. And because we have offended an infinite, perfect being, we must suffer infinitely. And the point being, that's what this parable points out. 160,000 years worth of work? Are you kidding? What, what's that? That's, 
That's just a little picture of our offense toward a holy God and how we could never pay back that debt. Yet that person was forgiven that debt. Just like we are by God's grace through Christ. How do they react? Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denera, two months worth of salary. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. <laughs> so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have mercy with me, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay all his debt. Wow. That should incense us, should enrage us. That's the purpose of the parable. That's why Jesus told it was to show this extreme. Verse 32 goes on to say this. Then his master summoned him. The guy who forgave him all that debt <laughs> heard about all this. He summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's the key phrase of the entire, the entire parable. Should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which was an eternal jail sentence for this man, obviously, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And I think that last word is so important, that last phrase, from your heart. Again, showing us and implying to us that unless a person's heart has been transformed by the forgiving grace of God, you can't forgive. But if your heart has been transformed by the forgiveness of God, then you also will forgive from that same heart. The question today for all of us is, are we resting in that blessing? Do you know that blessing today? Do you know the blessing of having all that weight, all that sin covered by the blood of Christ? And for God to say, where are your accusers? And you say, I have none, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's nothing like that and it can only be received by putting your faith in Christ in him alone he said all you who labor and are heavy laden you're burdened down with your working trying to earn favor with God you're guilty because you're sinful and you're trying to somehow meet that need of of pacifying that guilt by your own works hey that's too much to carry you can't do it you're just continuing to to, to stack up on your guilt you're you're continuing to stack up your sin. Your, your righteous deeds are not helping you. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and work and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, that's what forgiveness is, isn't it? It's a rest. A glorious, blessed rest that can only be found in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word.
We pray now your Holy Spirit will apply your word to our hearts that you may be glorified. Let us be gracious to others because you have been gracious to us. Let us be grateful that our sins are wiped away. And therefore, let us live a blessed, truly blessed life, no matter what the circumstances, knowing that our eternity is secure with you because of Christ. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.